Well, the title of my message this morning is The Intimidator. The Intimidator. Anybody in here ever been intimidated by something? Someone, something, an animal? Ever come face to face with a bear in the woods? They're intimidating. Uh, fly fishing in Montana one time, and I came around a corner, and there's two bears just standing there looking at me on all, you know, two feet, just standing there. And I had a fly pole <laughs> going back. Uh, it was kind of intimidating. Uh, you know, we've uh, experienced all kinds of things in our lives where we can say it's intimidating. I mean, can you all remember the first time you ever drove your vehicle? I mean, kind of intimidating. I learned with a clutch, and so that was even more intimidating. So there's all, all kinds of things that intimidate us in our lives, even as today. Uh, you know, we can have uh, uh, intimidation coming from uh, every side of society. But this morning, I want to talk a little bit about a coach that I had in junior high. His name was Mr. Webb. <clears throat> I think Mr. Webb played uh, college football, and I also think he was a college wrestler. And so he was just like, well, kind of like me, but only different. But anyway, uh, he, was, he was incredibly strong. We had a weight machine down in the basement of our gymnasium, and he could go around that weight machine, and he could literally press any way he wanted it, the whole rack of weights. I mean, just, and all the kids were just amazed at how strong he was. Well, class was starting one time, and me and another I don't remember if I was involved. I was involved in this, yes. Me and another three or four boys, we were just talking and goofing off and talking and goofing off. And he had, you know, kind of made the motion for class to start, which means we all need to sit up. I mean, sit down and begin class. And we didn't whenever he, he uh, uh, gave us the first, uh, you know, little warning. And finally, it came to a place where he had this coat rack that was made in the Voag shop, and it was a piece of pipe welded onto a disc, a disc off of a tractor, and then it had some uh, railroad spikes on it. So that was our coat rack. He picked that thing up, and he goes, <laughs> and he hit it on the ground, and he said, shut up and sit down. <laughs> That's what I did, along with all the other guys that were involved in this little testing the coach kind of thing. Scared the liver out of me because I thought the next thing he's going to do is pull my head off and spit down in that hole that's left there. Scared me. Coach Webb was intimidating. So let's talk a little bit about this morning. The definition of intimidation, the definition of fear, because you see that's what happens whenever we get intimidated. We have fear that rises on the inside of us. The definition of fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. So that's fear. The definition of intimidate is a verb. Now remember, intimidate is a verb. So it's just to make timid or fearful, to frighten, especially to compel or deter by or as if by threats. So intimidation means that, that you are frightened, thus you detour. You are frightened by these threats. And sometimes these threats don't have to be verbal threats. I mean, I'm intimidated and frightened by snakes. If I see one on the ground, I don't just continue to walk the same path that I would have walked prior to seeing that snake. I'm telling you, if you see a snake under my feet, you can, you can tell this guy can pick it up and put it down whenever it comes to snakes. I can run faster than Hussein Bolt whenever it comes, or close to as fast as one of his kids that's two years old. So anyway, to frighten, to make timid, especially to compel or deter by, as, by or as if by threats, to make timid or fearful by, uh, by or as threats. 
Now, the synonym to intimidate is words like browbeat. It's an old word, but probably most of y'all know what it means. To bulldoze, just to come in and to bulldoze them over, to bully, to cow. Anybody, you know, that's an old, old saying as well, but to cow, to, to cow down to something, to strong arm. Worms, words related to intimidate or alarm and to frighten, to horrify, to scare, to terrify, to menace, to terrorize, to threaten, to badger, to harass, constrain, push around, demoralize. But the thing is about fear and intimidation, fear is also a spiritual phenomenon that's inflicted upon you and I by the devil. How many of you all know that the devil really is the master intimidator? And let me just tell you something, never before in my life, as, as maybe the last uh, six or eight months that I've lived, have I realized the power that the enemy has by making us fearful. And many times we don't even realize we're fearful, but we are. And so this morning, and by the way, this is a two-part message because I just had so much in here, I couldn't get it all done in two cough drops, so... So next week, we're going to talk more about the phenomenon called fear, that the enemy, the, the devil, the, the, the hater of you and I inflicts on our soul. God built you and I with a fight or flight mechanism on the inside of us. We're, we're, we're geared that way. So this mechanism is built into us for our protection. You get this rust of adrenaline whenever you get scared, this panic that comes all over you, and you, you know, that real danger that's there, you know, you're gonna you're gonna fight or flight. Yes, I'm sorry I woke a couple of you all up, but but that's it. We're also gonna be people who face this real danger. And whenever you face this real danger and you have that that adrenaline hit your hit your life, it's kind of like you have this, this instant boost of strength. Amen. But Satan and all of the demons that work for him, as they always do, have taken this gift that God gives us, this fight or flight gift. That mechanism is good, amen? Gave it to us for a reason. But Satan and his demons have taken this, this, this gift that God has given us and they've corrupted it by using it against us. They do it by planting thoughts in our minds, they plant thoughts of impending disaster. They plant thoughts of impending doom. They're all, they're, they're, they're behind all of the what ifs. Have anybody ever been there? What if? What if? These kind of thoughts are behind all of those thoughts of what ifs. Questions that tie you in knots. You ever had one of them? Well, would you like to get up and speak today? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Ties these, these, they tie us in knots. They fill us with fear. That fear is caused by the devil. May I just make this very clear right from the beginning, and we'll kind of weave some Scripture into it a moment from now. But God does not author fear in our lives. It comes from the enemy. Every one of us are in this game together. No one is exempt from fear all of us have fear in our lives. So just make sure we all know that. You're sitting out there saying, man, I'm a fearful person. Just understand, 
all of us have some type of fear in our lives. There are big fears, and we're very aware of these fears in our lives. Like, I got a fear of heights. I have, and we, we were remodeling the sanctuary a couple of years ago, and there was some drywall work needed to be done way up there, and it just seemed like I was the only one that wanted to do it. And I climbed this extension ladder. I'm telling you, I was sweating. I was, I was thinking I'm going to die any second. I did it, though. You see, that's a big fear in my life. We have these big fears. We're very aware of them, but we also have little fears in our lives oftentimes that many times we don't even realize we've got these little fears. I learned that it's very important to understand what fear is and how it works against us. It's the reason Satan uses it, because he wants our fears to work against us. You see, because we don't understand fear, it can keep us from becoming what God's created us to be. Man, we all got to realize that God created us for a purpose. There are things that we are supposed to be doing for His kingdom. Man, that was a perfect place. I paused for an amen, and there wasn't one. We, we, we got to keep this in mind. You see, God's created us to do it. That's why I'm here on this planet. I have been chosen by Him to do His marvelous works, to bring glory to His Son, Jesus Christ. But yet there's this crazy thing called fear that causes us, it, it challenges our lives every day, and oftentimes it will, it will keep us from becoming what God wants us to be, which means we won't fulfill that purpose that God has put on our life. Fear has an evil scheme. You ever scheme against anybody? Anybody in here besides myself a practical joker? Oh, practical jokes are so fun to scheme. Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get them. Oh, it's going to scare them to death. Woo! I love it. My poor wife, it's a wonder she's still alive because I've scared that woman so many times in our marriage. I used to love to do it. Schemed it. Fear has a scheme right now. Listen, I, I believe this. I believe that the enemy is huddling up and they're talking about what play they're going to run next in you and I's life so as to bring fear into our lives. Fear is this tool, as I said earlier, that the devil uses against us to make us miserable, to destroy our lives. It begins as a thought and then creates emotion, and these emotions can absolutely rule our lives. It often becomes so strong, so intense, that it tries to move us to make foolish decisions, foolish actions. It tries to prevent us from doing something that would, that would literally be good for us. Because it's such a common way that Satan attacks people's lives, I think of it as literally the, the master spirit he uses to manipulate people and to keep them out of God's will. I, I can't tell you how many people I have sat down with over the years because one of my jobs is to help people find that ministry that they need to be a part of. And I've heard this out of their mouth so many times. Well, pastor, I would have done it because I really felt like the Lord wanted me to do it, but I was just so fearful. I was just so scared. I was scared to step out and do it. I just really believed he wanted me to do this, but I was just too scared to do it. Fear is the opposite of faith. God wants us to walk by faith, but Satan wants us to walk by fear. When we learn to live by faith and we learn 
not to let fear rule our lives. That's the place, and see, that's what this whole message is about. That's the place where we can live a fulfilling, satisfying, peaceful, joyful, productive life for Jesus Christ. Without it, I mean, fear cripples us. It cripples us. And so we've got to learn to be able to take fear and to put it where it belongs. In Proverbs 23, 7, the first part of that verse, this is what it says. Fear begins as a thought. Listen to this. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. I'm fearful. Folks, I'll be very honest with you. I think some of what Job said came true in my life because what I feared, what I greatly dreaded came upon me. I mean, I dreaded COVID coming into my home. I dreaded my wife getting COVID. Are you all there with me? I dreaded getting COVID myself. I, I literally feared this stupid virus. What I feared greatly dreaded came upon me. And you say, oh, you just ain't very spiritual, Pastor. No, I just touched some germ somewhere that got in me. I have no idea where it came from. But God's brought us through it. Thank you, Jesus. So this morning, my question is, is fear holding you back? I wonder how many people actually have gifts and they have talents that God has given them, but they aren't using them because they tried and they failed, or perhaps they were scared to even try. So many people are frustrated because they know that they're not doing what they are meant to do by the hand of Almighty God, and they're letting fear rule them instead of being fulfilled by the power of Almighty God. So that was my opening this morning, and my cough drop is almost gone. So if you would open your Bibles to our text this morning, which is 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you know anything about 1 Samuel chapter 17, you know that this is the story of David and Goliath. Perhaps one of the most uh, read, the most told stories in all of the Bible. I know whenever my kids were growing up, <clears throat> they loved me to tell them the story of David and Goliath. Whenever Caleb was little, I used to tell him the story of David and Goliath, but Goliath always had a high voice. You come out here, I'll feed you to the dogs. <laughs> Had a little southern twang as well. That made him look a lot less intimidating. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to skip a little bit of this story, but if you'll stay with me, we're going to begin reading at verse number 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to the battle, and were gathered together in Soko which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succo and Azekah in Ephes, Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and the shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out and line up against for battle? For I... I, am I not a Philistine, and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Okay, so this is the ultimate intimidator right here, Goliath. He's hairy, man. Can you imagine what Goliath looked like? I'm telling you, his teeth were just ginormous, sticking out of his mouth, slobber coming out of him, and this ginormous beard, hair growing out of the collar of his shirt. I mean, he just looked awful. But he was just a monster of a man. Every one of the, uh, every one of the army of Israel looked at him and said, man, whoo! baby. I, no way am I going to go fight that guy. I mean, his spear and his armor bearer and all of this stuff he had on him from the day he was born, he was being trained to be a military man. He was being trained to be a professional fighter. Goliath was the ultimate intimidator. The men of Israel, now if you think about this, if you took that one element out of this story, David and Goliath, you took Goliath out and it was just the story of David, well, it wouldn't even been a story of David. It had been the story of how King Saul's men went out against the Philistines and they routed them in battle. Amen? But this ultimate intimidator, Goliath, he walked out into the valley and his size, the circumference of his arms and neck and all the gruesome things about who he was intimidated the entire army. Listen to this. It says, when Saul... And all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. In the Old Testament, whenever you read a story, one of the things you need to understand is somehow or another that story applies to the New Testament. The Bible says the Bible has shadows and types, shadows of what is to come in the New Testament. There's all kinds of shadows and types of Jesus in the Old Testament. You're reading along, you go, that story's about Jesus. I know that because I've read the New Testament. Understand that this Bible has this Bible story of David and Goliath has very much significance to the New Testament. There is going to be in our lives intimidators. The ultimate intimidator in our life, obviously, is Satan. He wants us to be paralyzed by fear. Fear is, by its very nature, it brings division. It tears us apart. It makes us doubt the goodness of God. And so I have to ask you, why is it that we fear? That's easy. Because I get scared easy. I knew that wouldn't work. Why is it that we fear? It's because I get scared, Pastor. I get scared. But why do we get scared? I think it can be due to fear that somehow God is not enough. I want to repeat that because we've got to get this. I think sometimes we are scared. Sometimes we have fear because we don't think God is enough. Oh, no, pastor, I think God's enough. We can say that all day long, but man, whenever it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, sometimes it's hard to believe that God is everything you need. Amen, Pastor. That's a good word. He's not enough for us. Or maybe sometimes we feel that God's will is not enough and that God's love maybe is not enough. 
to give us all the things that we need to operate in this life. How many of y'all know that we're needy people? Amen? We're needy. We just have needs all over the place. But sometimes we, we just get fearful because we just don't think His love... I mean, some, I mean seriously, we can, we can shortchange ourselves so often because we don't think God loves us like the Bible says He loves us. I mean, we can do something wrong and all of a sudden we feel like God is just going, I give up on you. <laughs> Knucklehead. Yeah? And because of that, we feel like His love is not enough. I'm going to tell you something, folks. His love is enough. He loves us past all of our faults, all of our stupidity, all of our arrogance, all of our stiff-neckedness. And that's probably just for me because none of you are like that in here. God's love is sufficient. God is enough. He's enough for everything we need in our life. So skip forward, if you would, from verse 11 to verse number 20. We're going to keep reading this story. David's dad basically sent him to the front, so this is it. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep, sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went to Jesse, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And as it came, as it came to the camp, as the army was going out to fight, fight and shouting for the battle, for, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then he talked with them. There was this champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according, according to the same word. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So here's, again, another place where it says they're, they're afraid. So the armies are lining up. David's coming to the camp. He's bringing all the stuff that his dad sent. Uh, he leaves it with the, the, the supply keeper, and he goes right up to the battle lines to greet his brothers. And he sees all this commotion, the Israelites lining up, the Philistines lining up. And then he sees this champion come out and says the same words that he said just a few verses earlier. And David is listening to this. He's listening to this, and all of a sudden he turns around and, and I want you to think about the freaky thing that happens. He turns around, and there's nobody left on the side of the Israelites. Are you all there? I mean, the Israelites, they picked up their skirts, and they left. They're, they're scared to death of these. When it, it says, when they saw the man, they fled from him. They went back to their tents and crawled underneath their bunks. Let's skip all the way to verse 45. I'm just going to tell you what's kind of happened. David's had a belly full of this giant. Y'all there? He's a kid. David is a kid. He's a teenager. He has no battle training whatsoever. Has no armor that will fit him. He tried on Saul's, didn't work. And so he's going out to meet this Goliath, this champion from Gath, this Philistine monster, this ginormous intimidator. He's going out to meet him, and he's got a bag full of rocks and a slingshot. All the Israelites are up on the hill going, we're praying for you, David. The birds are probably eating you pretty soon, buddy. 
probably up there talking to David's brothers. Man, how did you get such a stupid brother? He's stupid with a capital oopid. Verse number 45 says, Then David said to the Philistines, You come to me with sword and spear and with a javelin. Perhaps the most important verse I'm going to read is this next one. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord or the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Man, that's a good word right there, man. Goliath is over there going, what does that mean? (laughs) I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistine to the bird of the air and the wild beast of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. So here, all of a sudden, you see this thing begin to switch. The Israelites are looking at it in a natural sense. We cannot defeat Him. There's no way. This intimidator is this humongous guy. There's no way that we can can ever overcome Him with our strength. But David comes onto the scene and it says, it's not about my strength. It's not about your strength. It is about the, the God that sits on His throne in heaven. It's about His strength. And I want to tell you something. His strength is way more than Goliath could ever muster up. David walked out into that valley with a confidence in him that God was going to deliver this Philistine intimidator into his hands. And that ultimately, this Philistine intimidator's head was going to come off. And the armies of the Philistines were going to be routed by the Israelites and their bodies were going to be fed to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So that what? So why? Why is it going to happen? Why is God going to intervene in this? So that the world will know that there is a God in heaven. That's the reason. But you see what's happening is the enemy of our soul sets back and he whispers these things into our ears. He implants these sentences into our hearts and he's saying, sit down and shut up. And it is time for the church of Jesus Christ to understand we do not operate by might. We operate by the Spirit of the living God who empowers us. The church for too long is set back and go, oh, I don't know. And the enemy is going, yeah, I can understand why you don't don't know because you are not worthy. You are not able. There's no way that you can pick up what God has implanted in your soul and move it forward. And because of those words of discouragement, because the intimidator whispers into our spirit, we go, oh, you know, I'm I'm thinking the same thing. Folks, let me tell you about J.D. Watson. He is a hick from the hills of New Mexico. That's what I am. Never in a million years would I have ever dreamed that God would have called me to a place where I am now. Not saying that I'm superior to anybody in this planet, but I'm telling you, God has taken me on a wild journey of ministry. He has used my life in ways I could have never dreamed it. And it scared the liver out of me whenever I first got called in the ministry. I told God, I said, I'm not qualified. I I wasn't raised in a pastor's home. I have no Bible school. What in the world could you ever use me for, God, besides being a mechanic to the church van? Come on. And the enemy climbed right on that. 
And I tell you, there were times where it was difficult to keep going towards the vision that God had put in my heart to become a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I constantly battled this thing called fear. There was an intimidator that literally camped out in my house. And he constantly spoke to me. I'm underground working in a mine and I'm, I'm filthy, nasty, dirty. I'm, I mean, dirty from head to toe. Got hydraulic oil all over me. And the enemy would come to me and said, man, and you think God's going to use you one day in the ministry? Come on, I'm just being real here. See, but, but it's not about where I was because there's no way I could have ever did what I have done for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But through me, he has worked. There's where David was. He said, man, I'm a kid. I don't have no armor. I don't have no spear. I don't have anything but a slingshot with a few rocks. But I'm going to tell you something. A slingshot with a few rocks in the hand of somebody that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God can bring down the intimidator. He didn't even need a sword to cut his head off with because he borrowed Goliath. He said, I don't think you'll be needing this anymore. Ha! I'm sorry. I'm getting a little weird. Let me tell you what 2 Timothy 1.17 says. Everybody's familiar with this. It says, For God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and love of a sound mind. And you got to kind of put this in context because you see what the Apostle Paul is doing right here is he's encouraging one of his sons in ministry, this guy named Timothy. Timothy was a powerful man of God. And Saul is speaking to him and he's saying, Timothy, as you start on this road of ministry, remember this, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear because the spirit of fear is loose on this face of this earth. The spirit of fear comes from the enemy. It comes from the intimidator. And he wants to bring this spirit of fear to you. He wants this church to fear. He wants us as individual Christians to fear. He wants all of us to be burdened down with fear where we literally cannot operate in the supernatural. He says, Timothy, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. No, that comes from the intimidator. But my God has given you a spirit of power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, man, power, supernatural, heaven-sent power in the name of Jesus Christ. Say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. That's the kind of power he's talking about. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give unto thee. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. Power. I give him the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You want me to tell you what happens to people who live and walk and breathe in fear every day of their lives? Their minds get all crazy. I'm telling you, it does. Half the people that are out there right now that are, 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 are messed up in their minds is because they've lived under fear their lives over and over every day. Fear, fear, fear. God is not behind our fear. He wants to have this, wants us to have a spirit deep down inside of us of power 
I don't just walk through this earth as a normal human. I walk through this earth as a spirit-empowered child of the Most High God. That's who I am. You go, oh, wait, well, you really think a lot about yourself? I don't, I'm just telling you what God says about me. You know, and I don't believe that David had zero fear whenever he walked into that valley. I have an idea he had a little lump in his throat. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he just casually, hey, we're going to kill John today. <laughs> I, I, I think that, are y'all with me? But he overcame that fear. And so you have to ask yourself a question, how did he do it? How did he find freedom from this intimidation? Because, you know, that's probably a long way that David had to walk from the top of that that top of that rise that the whole Israelite army was lined up all the way to the bottom of that valley where Goliath was at. How did he overcome it? How did he get freedom from intimidation? How did he get freedom from fear? Well, folks, we all need freedom from intimidation because this is what I... And, and I looked this up in the Greek. It was the best I could, I could come up with. Fear and intimidation stink. It's really not Greek, but, but y'all understand? I mean, honestly, I hate to be scared. I literally hate to be scared. I don't watch horror movies because horror movies scare the bejeebies out of me. I just don't watch them. Whenever I was about mm, 16 years old, I went to my first horror movie ever. It was called It's Alive, and it was about this baby that ate people, killed cops, did all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. Next morning, I had to get up very early and go out. And I'm going to tell you something, man. That baby was crawling around somewhere. I was scared for weeks. I, was, I mean, I was petrified. Wind blew all the time in the community I grew up in. And so that wind, whenever it's blowing, I'm going, what was that? I heard that baby. That baby's somewhere around here. Baby, you get away from me! I hated it. I had to walk into dark places and find the light switch way on the inside of those dark places. And I'm just like going. <laughs> Some of y'all understand what I'm talking about. I hate to be fearful. Fear stinks. To be intimidated stinks. The Bible talks about meditating on the word of God. In Romans 12, 2, this is what it says. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Meditating means to roll the scriptures over and over in your mind until it becomes part of you. Meditation takes information and it turns it into revelation. Are you all there with me? So here's these scriptures that David knew. David knew some scriptures. And he starts rolling them over. He goes... No, that guy shouldn't be intimidating us. We should be intimidating him. We are the army of a living God. Where did he find that out? Scripture. He said, man, what, what is this? And so all of a sudden, these scriptures that David knew, and you say, well, how do you know David knew scriptures? Because he wrote almost every one of the Psalms for one thing. 
David was a man that knew the word of God. And I believe having all those hours out there, you see, he didn't have an iPad or iPhone to be messing with out on the, out on the hills around Bethlehem, herding the sheep around. Are y'all with me? He's out there. He's, he's meditating this word. That's the reason why whenever a bear came against the sheep, he killed it. Whenever a lion came against the sheep, he killed it. He knew the word of God. So what we've got to do to get a hold of this fear, to get a hold of this intimidation in our life, is we have to get the Word of God in us. And all of a sudden, whenever the Word of God gets in us, it can renew our minds. Meditate on it. It takes that information and it turns it into revelation. You can argue with me a whole lot about things in the Bible, and I may come to a place where I, you know, I don't really know completely about that. But you can argue with me with some things. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I am a blood-bought, washed, blood-washed, blood-bought child of the living God. And there's going to come a day in my life whenever I'm going to step over from this realm into the next realm, and I'm going to stand in the very presence of Jesus Christ. You can't argue with me about that. Forty years ago, you probably could have argued with me because it wasn't set in concrete. But now it's set in concrete in me because those words have reverberated in me and reverberated in me and reverberated in me until finally I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I know that I have been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And see, it's not just in concrete anymore. It's in, it's in rebar, reinforced concrete. Ha! I'm sorry. See, whenever you get revelation about something, then you know that you know that you know it. Whenever the intimidator comes against you and you have no idea what the Word says, you just man, yeah, I know, I can't do it. I can't do it. I understand. I think God's calling me to, to start a, a, a home for unwed mothers and to minister to their lives. I just can't. I understand. Let me tell you something. I am more than what you see up here on this platform. I am more than what you see right now. I have a new identity in Christ Jesus. See, whenever I got born again through this relationship with Jesus Christ, I actually became recreated in Christ Jesus. You go, what are you talking about? Well, first John 3.16, but man, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I've been recreated. I'm brand new. I'm not the old model. You just ask me how old I am. I'm 40 years old. You go, no, you're not. You look at least 41. <laughs> My birth certificate may say that I'm 59, but I want to tell you something. I got a second birth certificate that says I'm, I'm 40 years old in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I've been recreated. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I want to read it to you out of the Amplified Bible. It says, For we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths that, which He prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I'm more than what you see up here. 
I've been born again, man. (laughs) So, whatever Jesus is, I am too. And you go, blasphemy, pastor. I'm just telling you, I can prove it scripturally. I'm not going to do it right now, but I can prove it scripturally. What Jesus is, we are too. He is strong, and in Him, I am strong. Woo! Hallelujah! He is a courageous God. Hallelujah. And in Him, we are courageous. He is a conqueror, and so are we in Him. He has peace, and He has joy, and in Him, so do we. He is capable. He is bold. And in Christ, we can do whatever we need to do in His boldness. I'm going to go through these next points really quickly. But there's some things sometimes that, man, it just makes you want to slap your own mother whenever you hear them. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? You ever hear somebody say something and you just go, man, I wish I could hit you right now. Just, that is contrary to this word right here. I'm sorry. By the way, I've still got this cough drop left. I can go for another hour. The lies of Satan that cause us fear. Real quickly. First lie of Satan, I can't. The worst thing about I can't, that lie that Satan spreads into our heart, is it stops us before we ever even get started. It fills us with fear as we face our biggest obstacles and our biggest challenges. I can't overcome alcohol. I shouldn't expect to have a good marriage. Everything I touch turns out wrong. I'm a failure. I can't follow God. I can't start that business. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And this is where you and I got to get a hold of the Word. Remember, the Word's got to get inside of us that helps us to overcome that lie that the enemy wants to spread in you. Because I will tell you this, there's not one single human being that's sitting in this sanctuary or listening to us online that the enemy has not spread that lie into your heart. He has told you that you can't do it. Compare that lie with this declaration from the Word of God. Whoo! I know what's coming, so it's just pumping me up right now as even I speak. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, man. The enemy comes up and whispers that lie into you, man. You can't, you can't. And all of a sudden you're saying, I can't, I can't. Well, wait a minute. I remember Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I've looked it up in the Greek. I've compared these words because I wanted to make sure it was an accurate translation. You know, that word all there in the Greek actually means all. There's no variation there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a contrast, folks, between what the enemy tells us and what God says to us. Y'all realize that? You can't, you can't. And God said, yes, you can. Yes, you can. God is the creator of potential. He is the completer of fulfillment. Next lie. Next lie. I can't was the first one. Next lie is God won't. 
Nah, I don't think God, I don't think he'll do that. I just don't think, you know, I've been bad. I've been, I was raised bad. In fact, yesterday I said a cuss word. I said, oh, and I just don't think he's, God won't. God won't help me. I don't think God will forgive me. Do you know how many times I've done the same thing wrong over and over and over? So I'm pretty much convinced God won't forgive me. And man, forget about praying because I know God won't hear me. And man, I've done so many things wrong. I don't think there's any way God will love me. Are you all there? Come on, this is, this is what the enemy realized. I, I mean, uh, 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 just bombards our spirit with. And you got to understand, I could have named another 15 of these. But these are real cries from hurting human hearts. I've had people sit in my office and say, man, I just don't believe it, Pastor. I don't think there's any way God can forgive me. And go, man, yeah, there is. Yeah, yes, 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 a million times, yes. He will forgive you. I've had people come into my office and tell me, I've committed the, the unpardonable sin, Pastor. I dealt with a man, man just a couple of years ago that he was convinced, absolutely convinced, that he had committed the ultimate unforgivable sin. And I said, okay, well, tell me about it. What'd you do? He told me about it. I go, that's not the unpardonable sin. Who told you you did that? My mother. I said, where is your mother? I'm going to go slap her right now. This guy had lived under this for many years that he had committed the unpardonable sin. So he was, God won't. Listen to what God says. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. God's not frustrated at our weakness. He's not frustrated at our failing. And if you want to know more about this whenever you get to heaven, talk to Peter. Come on. Ask the woman who was so ashamed that she couldn't even look up the face of Jesus, but literally washed his feet with her tears. Folks, sometimes I think the reality of the way we live comes back to taunt us. It's okay to be weak. <gasps> what are you talking about? You see, this morning I wasn't really sure I could even get up here and preach for a, a whole message. I thought about putting a stool up here because one of those things this stupid COVID does, it just makes you incredibly weak. I walked down to the creek about a week and a half ago from our house, and I like to not got back up the hill. I mean, I almost did not get it back up the hill. I was just so weak. I was shaking. I thought my dog thought I was crazy. I'd walk two or three steps, and she'd run up towards the house, and she'd look back and go, come on. Come on. And she'd come back, and I'd take two or three more steps. She'd think I'm going to the, all the way to the house. It's okay to be weak, and I'm not talking about a physical weakness. But we have to still guard our hearts against being willfully and stubbornly resistant to the grace that God offers us. Because you see, whenever you say, God won't, God won't, you're saying no to His grace. We're all weak, folks. We all have our moments. There's not any of us that have arrived. Next one. Nobody cares. Man. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like nobody even cares? During our illness, 
we got so many cards, we got so many phone calls, we got so many people bringing meals to us. We, we, we had the whole Monday night prayer team came to our house last Monday night and literally surrounded it and just prayed a Holy Spirit-led prayer. And I really believe that that was the beginning of me kicking this thing out the door down South Skeena. You all follow what I'm saying? I believe there was something broken in the spiritual realm that night. But there are people that they don't have that. And they get the feeling because Satan plants this in their spirit. No one cares. And that is a lie from Satan. Very close to the first recorded lie in the Bible. Satan approached Eve and basically said this, God really doesn't have your best interest in mind. Because see, all he's given you is this, is this awareness of all the good stuff. But man, you can know more than just the good stuff. Are you all there? And so all of a sudden, Eve gets this revelation of pain and misery. That was good and evil. Amen? Pain and misery. And she gets this firsthand knowledge of it. Evil, this evil was brought to her, and this evil was also brought to us because of Eve's miscalculation in the Garden of Eden. Let me just tell you this. If you look around you and you find absolutely no one that you can say cares for you, you can always know this. God cares. He cares. He that did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The amazing thing about this is you can look around and if you can't find any human being that you could put your finger on and say, God cares, I will tell you that somewhere on this planet, God has somebody praying for you. Absolutely, positively. I've listened to too many testimonies of people who, in the midst of, of someone going through something fantastically horrible in their lives, God has raised up intercessors, literally, all over the world to pray for them. I have an aunt that lives in Texas, and she has uh, been listening to us online, and one of the things she communicated to my mother is, she said, I got the whole state of Texas praying for them. I said, who, yeah. I don't know hardly anybody in Texas. But yet God had raised up people that called out mine and my wife's name. There are people who care. See, that's the function of the church, folks. Next lie. I don't matter. I don't matter. Nobody cares. I don't matter. You matter to God. You matter to God. God is, is so acutely aware of everything about your lives. The Bible tells us He has even numbered the hairs on His head, on our heads. And, and some of you, it's incredibly easy for Him to number them. Some of you are not as easy as others. Some of you will understand that in a moment. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting lives. You are worth God assuming human flesh and literally dying on the cross, taking your punishment for your sins. 
You matter to God, not because of what you can do for Him, not because of who you are, but because of whose you are, the child of the living God. That's why you matter. The last one here, and Jared, if you'll come and help me close this, is this is often a, 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 a phrase that I've heard out of people's mouths. It's too late. <clears throat> it's too late. I was ministering to a man one time on his deathbed, literally. I mean, the doctor had given him uh, till the end of the week. And one of the things that he said to me, because I'm, I'm saying, man, you're fixing to step into eternity and you need to go and step into heaven and not hell. And he, he made this statement to me. He said, it's too late. He said, I've lived my whole life away from God. And I knew I was living my life away from God. I literally stiff-armed him my whole life. And now it's too late. And I, man, I jumped in there. I know the Holy Spirit did as well. Jumped in there. Because you see, this is a powerful lie that the devil uses in our lives. This feeling of urgency that should prompt us to, to action becomes the devil's tool to intensify our despair. You know? It's too late. It's, it's too late. But you know you want to do it. No, it's too late. Oh, but I just, I know I want to do it. And I knew he was laying in that bed. I knew that he wanted to accept Jesus Christ. And to make the long story short, he did receive Jesus Christ. Just literally hours before he passed away. It wasn't that day, but it was the next day. It's never too late until you've breathed that last breath, until your heart has beat that last beat. Listen to what it says here. The, the mercies of God are new every morning. Every morning whenever I get up, as sure as the sun is going to come over that hill behind us and begin to illuminate this valley we live in, as sure as that sun is rising, God's mercy is brand new. Brand new. In Psalm 103.8, this is what it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, mer in, uh, abounding in mercy. I love that Scripture because basically what it does is it begins and it ends its description of God with the word mercy. Listen to it. It begins, the Lord is merciful. And it ends with abounding in mercy. That's the description of God. Folks, do you realize how much mercy? I used to, used to say it like this. I used to call it slack. I'll cut you some slack. Anybody ever do anything dumb to you? And instead of, you know, pounding them, you say, I'll, I'll cut you some slack this time. Anybody, is that something that's familiar to people in here besides myself? You see, I will tell you this. God has cut me a lot of slack. You know why? Because the Lord is merciful and he is abounding in mercy. And because of that, it's never too late. All of us in this room have had lost opportunity. Yesterday, we can't recuperate yesterday. But we cannot afford to throw away today because of what happened yesterday. 
That's a good word, folks. You see, that's we're going, it's too late. I, I'm too old. I, I, there's just no way I can do this. It's just, you know, I've tried before. It's just it's too late. It can't happen. You might be absolutely surprised at how encouraging it is to do something rather than to stagnate in yesterday's sorrow. <sighs> Shoulda, coulda, woulda, you know? To just wake up this day and go, man, God, your mercies are new today. It's like all that stuff I did stupid yesterday, you don't even remember it. So I got a whole new chance right here. God is cutting me some slack, and I'm going to try it again today. You know why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, folks, as we study the Bible, as we meditate on the Word that God has given us, that's whenever we become able to recognize the fears that are in our lives. Those fears that are holding us back. That intimidator that's standing behind each and every one of those fears, implanting them sometimes so deep in us, we don't even realize we're fearful in various areas of our lives. But whenever we get a hold of the Word of God, whenever we get a hold of His Spirit and His life, that's whenever we are able to overcome them. That's whenever we are able to see ourselves in Christ Jesus. That's whenever we'll be able to find whatever we need to do and then do it. The enemy is looking at this church and he's saying, shut up and sit down. Next week, we're going to talk about how the enemy is keeping our mouths closed whenever right now, this time that we're living in, like never before, the church's voice ought to be heard. Next week, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble because I'm going to talk about some things that are very controversial but I'm going to talk about the word of Jesus Christ that supersedes any political movement on this planet. Hello? The word supersedes it. The enemy's saying, sit down and shut up. But I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is saying, stand up and shout to the hills. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to do a little exercise before we dismiss. I want us to speak this word because how many of you all know that the word of God is voice activated? You got one of those Googles or those Amazon dots at your house, you know, voice activated. My wife has got one of them little Google things. And man, I'm in the kitchen and I'm doing something. And all of a sudden I hear her in there talking. Nobody else in the room. Her famous phrase to that Google thing is, Google, go to sleep. And it'll go to sleep for a while and wake up. I told you to go to sleep. How many of y'all know that the Word of God is voice activated? You got to say this word in order for it to work. So this is 2 Timothy 1.7. And I'm going to say the first part and then you just repeat after me. Then I'm going to say the next part you just repeat after me. Would that be all right? For God has not given me a spirit of fear. You can say that. That was pretty good, but I think we can do it again. You guys were way out of unison. Okay, I'm going to say it, and then you say it right after me. For God has not given me a spirit of fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear. You're getting it now. 
but of power and of love and a sound mind. Now see, that's the word, and it's got to get in us because the, 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 the intimidator is going to come and intimidate you. He's going to come with fear after fear after fear, and he's going to lay it at your doorstep, and he's going to hope like everything that you pick it up and open it and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, it's too late. There's no way God will do that in my life. Nobody cares. Come on. God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. That's me. We got to walk in that, folks. We got, to quit, we got to quit fearing what the enemy can do to us because I will tell you this, the worst he can possibly do to you is take your life and that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Come on. You take my life, I'm, 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 I've got it made, man. You can do with my body whatever you want to do with my body. I told my kids, I said, just get a good hot fire going just throw me right there. I said, save a lot of funeral expenses. It's not about what I am after I've departed this physical body. The enemy, the enemy can't touch us. Let me just tell you this as well. Until God has said it's time, you are indestructible. Until he said it's time, you ain't going no place. The enemy has no power over you. He hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know, Father, I've gone way too long with this message, but God, we got to hear this, and we got to get this, God. It's got to get in us, Lord God. The enemy is saying, shut up and sit down, Lord. That's what he's telling to churches. That's what he's saying to, to, to human beings all over this planet, Lord, that call you Christ, that call you Lord, that call you Savior. And Father, it is time for a clarion a crescendo to come from the church of Jesus Christ. It is time for our voices to be heard. And so, Father, I pray against this intimidator. I pray against this spirit of fear in the name of Jesus, Lord. we got to come out from underneath the bondage that Satan has got us in. And, Father, we got to walk in the liberty that You have given us. We are not going to be strong-armed by the enemy. We're not going to be bulldozed or bullied by the enemy, Lord God. No longer, Father God, are we going to be frightened or terrified or menaced by the enemy. But we are going to walk in the power of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to do what you called us to do, God. Be your church. But we'll never be it, Lord, without getting rid of the fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you folks. Love on one another. Amen. God bless you.